cuando, cuando, cuando. Oh, my God. 
what a good good jam okay so i was not planning to go live or even record anything for ufc vegas at1 yusuf versus barbosa but i have to read through my newsletter <laughs> as a as a proofreading segment so i figure i will just read it to you you know like when you're in school and the teacher's like hey billy you're up next i need you to read the uh next paragraph <laughs> so it's like the most nervous moment of your childhood when you're in english class it's your turn to read don't get me wrong some kids are like um the best I could, but I always felt very nervous, right? So, I'm going to uh, go through the breakdown with you guys, just one fluid motion. As I run into some problems, like if I run into a situation where I, I see like an edit has to be done, I'm going to stop. I'll stop and I'll say, hey, I need to, uh, to correct that. In an effort to do timestamps so that I'm not just all over the place here, I am gonna add some visuals. So I'll add, for example, the the fighter profiles, right, from UFC.com. And uh, and then from there, that way I can be able to easily timestamp it later on, right? So let me do that right now. Let me set that up. And again, if you're here live and you're looking for a very organized uh, fight breakdown, this is not the show for you. <laughs> This is me just uh, cutting some corners. I, I did a live Instagram earlier today as to why over the next few weeks, I will be not doing uh, breakdown videos or at least edited videos for UFC events. Just have a lot going on, positive stuff. But uh, yeah, so this is like, I guess my cutting corners breakdown with no editing and I will do the best I can. We'll see what happens here. But I'm going to add some visuals, like I said, just to give me when I do the uh, time stamping, it makes it a little bit easier. But on that note, let me go to UFC.com because UFC.com has the nicer, inter I guess, nicer visuals, right? I guess based upon my opinion. All right. So Yusuf versus Barbosa. Let me pull it up here. Okay. Yes. Looking, looking stout. Let me pull up that graphic there. So Yusuf and Barbosa. No audio is required. There we go, and we should see that pop up here right now. Not really sure why my computer is opting to be very slow responding, but uh, give me a second here. There we go. Okay, so there's the visual there on UFC.com for Yusuf versus Barbosa coming up this Saturday, 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern start time. That's October 14th. It'll be held in Las Vegas, hence the name UFC Vegas 81 or UFC Fight Night. And 12 bouts are scheduled as of now, but who knows? We could lose one, right? Of course, no titles are on the line, but there's some good fights. You know, I'm not the one to be like, oh, you know, a bad card or nah, I don't want to indulge in those type of conversations. Give me some mixed martial arts on Saturday night. Let's go. <laughs> I can wager on it even better. Anyway, without further ado, let's jump into this first fight. Let me scroll down here. And uh, there were some changes. Uh, I mean, according to my topology, the order was different before I started the video. But 
There's been a change. It should be now Emily Dakota versus Ashley Yoder. Is that what I have here on my notes on both? Yes, that's what we have on tapology.com. That's what we have on UFC.com. That's what we have in my Excel sheet. It's Emily Dakota versus Ashley Yoder. The 12 and 8 Emily Dakota versus the 8 and 8 Ashley Yoder. Oof, right? So some experience that's, you know, I guess uh, I would say uh, comparable. But uh, the record there for Ashley Yoder is a bit scary. And coming off of a loss, and so is obviously, I mean, Dakota, they're both American fighters. There'll be a height and reach advantage there for Ashley Yoder, as you can see, five foot seven compared to five foot two. Let's jump into sort of like our analysis. I'll give you my thoughts here. Let me first help give you my pick, right? How about that? I like Ashley Yoder by decision. Yeah, I just said that. Yeah, Ashley Yoder by decision. And Two big reasons why before I jump into my, you know, my details or my notes or my reasoning or my rationale is these female fights, man, they're really wacky. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I don't want to get all into it, but like that fight with Kanaka Murata recently with, you know, Vanessa Demopoulos, I just don't know. Like, I, I don't know what to expect with the female fight and I'm going to give a shout out to the Dogger Pass podcast up north. You know, those guys, Cody Saftik and his buddy there. But their producer just like blindly bets underdogs for female fights. And where I once thought it was like, oh, you know, he's kind of, he's just being goofy, right? And I'm like, I'm over here researching fights. I'm about to go to the dark side. I'm about to just start saying, regardless of the analysis, take underdogs and female fights especially when they're big underdogs. Murata won the fight, clearly. I just wasn't aware of the memo. They were going to give the fight to Vanessa Demopoulos regardless of whether she won or lost unless she got finished. You know, I, I thought Macy Barber lost to Andrea Lee. No. I thought this guy, Mancoon, Malcoon, whatever, illegal strike to the back of the head against Cody Brundage, that's just a, a no contest. <laughs> what is going on here? So, you know, the third eye is is very much open on my end. I, I'm just starting to like surrender to the reality that we, we can do all the analysis we want. And we can look at, let's say, for example, uh, tendencies or trends. This fighter gets most of their wins by submission. I, I would say one example would be um this guy uh, uh drew dober right drew dober drew dober fought recently and most people would have had him by knockout that's sort of how he does business not by submission if he loses he also loses by knockout and so when you're betting him you're talking about knockout first round second round knockout for him or he gets knocked out something in that wheelhouse okay that's a that's a a trend it makes sense it adds up it's consistent but decisions how the judges will see a decision that is not consistent and that's where i'm thinking even if i i want to like of course emily dakota has more upside and of course ashley yoder is older duh <laughs> it's just i don't know how you can bet this if you had 20 bucks are you going to bet it on emily dakota at minus almost 400 range i mean what is she sitting at right now minus 370 <laughs> A fighter who, when I'm done the breakdown, you're going to hear me explain to you why it's it's a very risky proposition 
to bet her against anyone right now based upon some some flaws in the game. And then for Ashley, <laughs> doesn't exude the most confidence at 35 years old and sitting at a 500 record and maybe getting cut after this fight. All right. I've kind of put all the, the barbed wires out there as to what I'm thinking. Let me show you uh, my Excel sheet real quick here and give you the grades. And so experience-wise, about equal eight-year pro experience for Emily Ducote. She did a little Bellator action. She did a little stuff in Invicta. Now she's over here at UFC. Yoder had a few more fights, obviously, in the UFC, been around a little bit longer in this promotion. Fighter IQ, I do give an edge to Yoder. I'll talk more about that here in a little bit. Cardio, they both have good cardio. Finishing ability, uh, no. None of, none of them. Neither one of them have ex experience in uh, finishing people. It's not really what they do. Striking is, it's point striking. So they're not going to hurt anybody. And at times, volume becomes an issue. Effective striking, like significant strikes, you can see them go an entire fight and not see one significant strike based upon my definition of a significant strike, which means it should like kind of back somebody up or you should see somebody's head kind of some sweat pop off. No, they don't They don't throw those kind of strikes. Grappling-wise, Emily Ducote does no grappling whatsoever. Ashley Yoda does a little bit of grappling, and that could be very well where she can squeak out here an ugly-ass decision as a plus 290 dog, which, again, is like, you know, why not? <laughs> I would not play Emily Ducote. No, <laughs> I just wouldn't do it. Some props here. Fight goes the distance. I like that prop. The price is not out yet. The split props, by the way. So it's a female fight likely to go to decision all we need is one round to be up in the air just one round gets a little greasy we're in the split territory so the split props will be on the radar over two and a half rounds of course if you like the fight with the distance you also like that prop and then yoder by decision when that comes out i'll be looking at that the prop lock here is the over two and a half going to be a little not selfish but it's going to take a little better piece there so over two and a half for the ashley yoder versus dakota as the prop lock let me go over and uh read my notes here Grab me a drink here in a second, too. All right, so Ashley Yoder at plus 295 versus Emily Ducote at minus 375. Have ourselves a strawweight bout, 115 pounders. We like Ashley Yoder by decision. For Ducote, she's a rightful favorite based on their recent performances. But minus 350, minus 370 in this range, that's way too much to pay for a fighter like Emily Ducote, who's a bit unpolished and hasn't really proven herself just yet. Herself, excuse me. First of all, the jury, like they say, is still out, right? That's the big thing. So for Emily Ducote, whatever we saw from her in these last few fights, it's just a glimpse. It's still a small sample size, I would say. Like, she looked okay in her promotional debut against, um, what was it? It was uh, Jessica, Jessica Penny, right? Okay, right? And then laid a goose egg in her last two fights. Now, the biggest critique that we have of Ducote is her cage presence, or, or lack thereof. She accepts her fate when she begins to fall behind. Instead of taking the situation into her own hands, taking the initiative, as they say, she allows her opponent to lead the dance. The bottom line is this. She lacks a sense of urgency, and we question her willingness to engage and change the course of the fight. And pretty much do whatever it takes. Start flailing and fighting whatever's necessary to win the fight. We don't see that from her. So bottom line, she lacks what I think is necessary to win a fight when it's close or to come back in the fight. And as a result, she can fall behind in the scorecards. 
And that's a problem here, a fight where it's probably going to decision with a scrappy veteran like Ashley Yoder, who might be 8-8, eight and eight, but is is has a win or two in the UFC, has, has scrap with some fighters that you would say maybe are better than Emily Dakota. You know what I mean? Dakota could have easily finished Pena. That's the fight. Jessica Pena, Pena, whatever. That fight is, <sighs> tell you something, I think I had, I feel like I had Emily Dakota to finish her as a, as a bet. So I probably like in my head having some scar tissue there, but she could have easily finished pain in that fight uh, or just get penny, whatever. Um, and penny was hobbling on like one really bad leg. And instead of Dakota, just kicking the shit of the leg, like just one or two more kicks could have done it. She opted to take it easy. She stopped, stopped kicking her and had a, a lack of urgency. Now she wins that fight, mind you, right? But one of the most frustrating performances you can see, and we've all seen fighters like this who are like, you can finish them. Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker's last fight against, I forgot who he fought. He could have finished the fight, but he was like, no. His post-fight interview was even more annoying. He's like, oh, I just, I don't like, dude, stop, 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 <laughs> stop it. Everyone could, it can get a $50,000 bonus, whatever. It's better for your career, the whole nine. So Dakota doesn't have that in her DNA. She doesn't go for the kill. She can't recognize when her opponent's hurt. She can't recognize I'm now in. A, it's like, you know, Houston, we have a problem. We're down two rounds. We need a finish. Nope. She could be outright down two rounds. Her opponent could be in front of her and hurt, and she still won't finish the deal. Book it. Now, that's not a criticism of her as a person. I'm not talking about Emily Dakota. So for those who hear this, who are in Emily Dakota's camp, or you know her, train with her, your sister, your brother, give me a fucking break with the messages about blah, 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 blah. I'm talking about specifically what I see on film. Watch her fight Jessica Penne, and you tell me she was trying to finish her. Okay, so this idea that she's got a killer instinct, Nobody can convince me of that. Not right now. Now, I hope Emily Dakota goes up there and proves me completely wrong and goes after Ashley Yoder and goes for a finish and shows me I'm an idiot and shuts me up. But I, until otherwise, I'm thinking she goes out there and messes around in a close fight with a person who's like 35 years old, who's eight and eight, instead of going out there and getting it done. Now, I'm going to give you an example here. Some fighters will fight tooth and nail. Some fighters will let it all hang out. Michelle Watterson Gomez. Now, she got TK in her last fight against Marina Rodriguez, right? And she got beat up, and she was smiling on her face with blood all over her face because she, she wanted all that. She said, let's go. Until you break me down, let's go. Dakota doesn't have that. And some fighters just ain't built that way. Not everyone has that Justin Gaethje and, and uh, Michelle Watterson Gomez type of DNA. And I'm telling you, if you watch enough film on Dakota, you'll notice that she's the kind of fighter where if it's not going her way, that's it. There's no plan B. Now, that's probably a lot of fighters. In the case of her, if it doesn't go her way early on here and you're holding a ticket on her, you better cash out quickly because once it starts going the other way for her, there is no coming back. And I haven't seen her have the ability to, you know, stand her ground and change the course of things. Now, as for Yoder, losing streak will cause a lot of fans to definitely turn the other way. She's one and four in her last five, four and eight in her last 12, four and eight in her last 12 fights. That's clearly way below 500. That, that's a few years. That's a 12 fight sample size. I'm a little surprised the UFC hasn't cut her by now, you know, to be honest. 
sadly another loss will probably result in her 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 release right the one good thing she does do or does have in her arsenal is durability in 18 professional fights 18 not just the eight eight she's got some other fights in there exhibitions whatever she's never been finished that was like wow now imagine i just told you about how dakota couldn't finish a you know a bagel so if if dakota has no finishing ability and yoder has very good durability this fight probably goes to the scorecards that's not good for dakota no it's not good for either one of them actually they both go to split decisions and close decisions whatever um if Yoder brings her A game the way she did against Angela Hill and Mackenzie Dern, she definitely could pull this off. If it comes down to who wants it more, Yoder's probably going to dig deeper than Dakota. I just think Yoder's got a little bit more fire in the, in the, in the belly, whatever you want to call it. So we're expecting the first two rounds that are very close. The third round is where I think Yoder can start to impose her will over a reluctant Dakota, maybe over a bloody nose Dakota who starts to feel like it's slipping away. So now let me just back up even more. I'm losing the fight. Let me just, you know, not throw the towel in, but just let me just not do anything here. I mean, I've watched Dakota in fights where she's down and then she's throwing like one punch per minute. It's like, I don't, how are you going to win? How are you going to win? Low fighter IQ. Yoder averages about one takedown per fight. And Dakota does no grappling and has not no take on defense, not an offensive grappler. Maybe Yoder steals at least one of these rounds with a takedown, some top control, and just you know beating her up a little bit on the ground. I don't see Yoder finishing her. I know Dakota might be too passive for my liking, but she ain't no you know she ain't no chump. She'll still hang in there. She'll stay in the fight. And Yoder's not known for a finishing ability. If this is the final fight for Yoder, her UFC career. I wish her the best. You know, she's she's done something at a higher level than man or women most of us will ever do. You know, she's fought quality out competition. She's held her own. Again, never been finished against, against some of the people that she fought. It's impressive. And look at her resume. She's got some wins in there. You're like, oh, shit, she beat that person. Anyway, uh, we're going to go with Yoder. Yoder by decision, a close decision, maybe a split over two and a half rounds. The fight goes the distance. Yoder by decision as a prop. And then... <coughs> excuse me depending upon your book you could play the fight ends by by a split or you can play both sides of the um fight by split decision so that's your first fight emily yoder versus ashley i'm sorry no uh that was emily dakota versus ashley yoder all right let's move on to the next fight here all right, according to this website, make sure I got myself in order over here. Christian, Chris Gutierrez. All right. Yeah, I have my notes over here, but I had the fights in a different order because that's how I saw it earlier. But here we go. All right, so Chris Gutierrez versus Alan Tanghaley. Yeah, tough name to say. Reminds me of a Ricci Lang. It's sort of in that same wheelhouse. And this guy also goes by some kind of Mongolian nickname. And he's got one name, like Madonna. So anyway, Chris Gutierrez is 19-4-2 overall, 16-8-1 for Alan Tanghaley. Let me give you my pick to win, and I'll jump into the breakdown real quickly here. So Alan Tanghaley, the Mongolian knight, is his nickname. By decision, that is our prediction. Now, I will confess to you, the line does not agree with me. 
Uh, the line has been in favor most of the time this week so far and still right now in favor of Gutierrez. Gutierrez is a minus 380 to minus 400 favorite, depending on what book you have, and plus 300 range for Alantang Haley. I ain't scared, though. I'm still sticking with Alantang Haley as the as the pick to win. Let me go over quickly the, the grading here. So in terms of experience, IQ, cardio, and finishing ability, they're both comparable. I think in the striking areas where Chris Gutierrez has an advantage and then the grappling is where Alantang Haley has an advantage. I can't see the fight going longer, so fight going the distance over 1.5, starting round number two, possibly a split. Um, Alan Tang Haley by decision, the fight starting round number two would be my prop lock, depending upon the price. Reminder here, Chris Gutierrez is the replacement fighter. We like Alan Tang Haley as a, as, a, as a big dog here to pull it off, and we have low confidence in the pick, but it's still nonetheless our pick. Let me go over here and get to my notes real quick here. So Alan Tang Haley by decision is the pick. Gutierrez is a durable kickboxer that does his best work at range. He dropped his last match as a minus 215 odds favorite. He got knocked out in the first round and was never able to regain the momentum. In his defense, though, he lost. Oh, sorry. Didn't get knocked out. He got knocked down in round number one. Uh, got hurt. Not knocked out. Got knocked down. And then couldn't sort of regain his momentum. In his defense, though, he lost to Pedro Munoz, who is a crafty veteran. Though Gutierrez is an American citizen, his family's from Mexico. So like many Mexican fighters, he has a good boxing. He's got good boxing technique and a, and a solid chin. He has never been knocked out, but he has been submitted once, 2018, by Ronnie Barcelos. The biggest weakness for Gutierrez is his grappling. He gets dominated on the ground by anyone who gets him down. Cody Durden and Munoz were both able to take advantage of him on the ground for long periods of time. If Alatang Haley's team has conducted film study, I mean, just looked at Gutierrez at all, They'll know the path of least resistance is just to take down Gutierrez and hold him down. It should be noted, though, Gutierrez will be taller by about four inches, and the reach is about the same, though. So interesting. So they have the same reach, but Gutierrez will be much taller. Alatang Haley is a wrestler with good jiu-jitsu. Since signed with the UFC 2019, he's 4-1-1. That's impressive. I mean, 4-1-1 your first six fights. He's obviously holding his own a good winning percentage. He has quality wins over Kevin Kroom and Baccarat. He's only been finished one time in his last 16 fights, so very durable overall. The knock on Alatang Haley is his striking technique. Yeah, his he has power in his hands, which he displayed against Kroom. He knocked out Kroom, but his striking is is very wild, um, not accurate, looping, coming from all different kind of weird angles. Adishi has a negative striking ratio, so he's getting hit more than he's landing. Ultimately, he's one of the most one-dimensional fighters um, on the roster because he's got he heavily depends upon his wrestling. If he has no wrestling success. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, it's off the rails. Now, Alatang Haley trains at the Fight Ready MMA gym, which is a very good gym. A lot of good fighters there, top-level, you know, athletes across the board and coaches. So he is exposed to some high-level training and, you know, good teammates. The game plan for him should be pretty simple, though. Get down Gutierrez, hold him down, keep the fight in the ground as long as possible. That's the path of victory. If he doesn't do that, I think Gutierrez is the much better striker. We'll pick him apart at range. So... Originally, Ali Tang, Tang Haley was scheduled to fight Ronnie Yaya. Gutierrez steps in here on a few weeks' notice. Not late last notice, but still a few weeks' notice. I think, though, for Gutierrez, it's a bad matchup because for him, he's a bit like uh, Abdul Rasaka Hassan. Like, they need to have stand-up fighters or else they don't look very good. In this case here for Gutierrez, same type of thing. I think if Alatang Haley gets a hold of his legs, He's down. It'll be a boring fight. He'll get the win, and Gutierrez will be frustrated, but it is what it is. Some betting spots here. Over 1.5 rounds. The fight starts round number three, and Alatang Haley by decision. Again, we like Alatang Haley by decision over Chris Gutierrez. Let's move on.
All right, next fight here. I think it's Melissa Dixon and Irina Alexeva. Yeah, that's what I believe the next fight is. Oh, boy. Tough fight, guys. Tough fight. Yeah, next fight, women's bantamweight bout. Irina Alexeva versus Melissa Dixon. Melissa Dixon gets no photo here, just a, an outline of her body. <laughs> kind of funny. Um, okay, let me uh, give you the basics here. You got Alexeva 5-1, 5-0 for Melissa Dixon, who's making her debut. Uh, Ale- Irina Alexeva is from Kazakhstan, you know, a.k.a. sort of former Soviet Union, Russian, Russian territory. Melissa Dixon's from England. They're both about five foot seven or five foot eight. Obviously, you know, reach and height wise will be comparable. All right. As for my uh, my grading here, these two fighters here, I like Arena Alexiva's experience because she does have a win in the UFC over Stephanie Egger, whereas Dixon making her debut. Otherwise, they just both have about five, six fights, right? Not much more cage time. Fighter IQ, about the same. Cardio. I'm not sold yet on either one for cardio, so I'm curious about how that kind of unfolds here. This fight, finishing ability, you know, Arena finished Stephanie Egger, but you know, I just I'll talk about that fight in a moment. Uh, striking, yeah, comparable, grappling, comparable. So I, I find them to be very even in a lot of areas. With Irina just having a slight experience advantage because she was already fought in the UFC and got a win. Fight does not go the full distance under two and a half rounds. Submission win for Irina, just copycatting what she did last time. She does have another submission as well on her resume. A split decision could be on the docket here. Uh, Dixon by decision, round one submission for Irina. All things that we're looking at here, I don't have a prop lock yet because this fight, I'm all over the place. Prior to, before I even go further, prior to Irina's last fight, I was feeding her in that fight. And then she came out there and did what she did with the knee bar and stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh. And she missed Wade. And it was, you know, (sighs) couldn't believe it. But it just, here we go again. It's just like, Take the dog. You know, who's the dog here again? The dog is, um, it's Irina. So just, you know, like take the dog and move on if you're going to just bet on female fights from now on, right? No, I'm going to give you some more information than that. I'm not going to be that much of a <laughs> of a lazy ass here. But yeah, still, Irina was a dog last time. She pulled off the win and the knee bar. It was super weird. It was, it was sucio, as we say in Spanish. But let me go here into my notes on these two fighters. So Alexiva plus 124 odds. Melissa Dixon minus 148. It's a bantamweight bout. Fairly small females, 135 pounders. We like Alexiva by decision. That's our prediction. Now, last fight, she won, obviously, by submission. For Dixon, making her UFC debut after winning a few fights in the regional scene. Now, though Alexiva is inexperienced in her in her own right, she will have a significant step up here for Dixon. So Dixon's not going to be fighting what I believe will be her best you know, fighter on her resume. Now, to be honest, though, Dixon doesn't seem to me, just watching film, like a UFC caliber fighter. With Irina, it's like, kind of the same thing though it's like you know are you sure Irina is a ufc level fighter i mean she's in the ufc has a win already so i guess i'm arguing a point that i'm I'm up against it you know i mean i guess she is a ufc fighter she's got to win in the the promotion i just i wonder with the potential here and maybe just a reflection of the lower talent i don't know whatever um dixon's an average striker does a nice job of pounding out opponents on the ground her cardio checks out and she's finished and she's got finishing skills, right? On the regional scene, it is. Our only critique, critique of Dixon is her schedule of our strength of schedule. It's difficult to assess like her ability in general for Dixon. She looks good on film, but it's just against such weak competition. It's, it's so hard to gauge. I, I'm not trying to be a pansy here, but I just don't know how good she is. She looks good on film against cans. That's all I can tell you, which is all she could do, right? Alex, if she's pretty good, all she could do is beat up cans, right? Alexiva earned a knee bar submission in her promotional debut or this year over Stephanie Egger, right? 
She was a plus 240 odds underdog and coming off of a two-year layoff. And she missed weight. I mean, you can't write this shit up. Lexiva has two submission wins in her short career. We wouldn't categorize her as an elite grappler, not by any means. Um, she's more of an opportunist. If if the opportunity is there to jump on a submission, if she sees something available, she'll she'll go for it. But you know, it has to be a poor fighter IQ that she's going up against who makes the the bad move, kind of like Stephanie Egger, you know, that kind of submission. And by the way, if you look at that submission, Stephanie Egger has her back. It's like it's it's mind-boggling. She actually has the back. I've got hair on me. She has the back of Alexiva. Alexiva just reaches down and grabs a leg, and then a few minutes later, not whatever, a few seconds later, it turns into a submission. It's like, yo, Stephanie Egger, what were you, what were you doing? Um, so I, I'm not taking credit away from Arena, but it's like I don't know that that's gonna happen very often where your fighter, your opponent's gonna make such a bad decision. You know, um Alexiva though was doing a good job on the feet. She was throwing some hands. She kind of forced Stephanie Egger into that grappling exchange because on the feet, she was doing a good job. She's happy to strike. Um, I think for her, she'll try to do that here with Melissa Dixon. She'll try to do more striking than grappling. Um, one more thing. Again, Irina missed weight last fight. I wonder if that'll be a factor here. We'll see what happens here. But very little from a betting perspective involved with this fight. We just don't have a lot of confidence. A lot of variance here, I feel like. Unusually high variance for both fighters. You can expect at least one of them to make a few mistakes because you have a, a debutante. You have somebody in arena who's there's flags there. You know what I mean? Um, so I would say, I mean, they might even come out with a draw here. I could see Irina getting a point taken away from her. She just seems to be very off the rails. Her post fight, you know, celebrating. I don't want to get too like, I don't want to pile it on here, but there's something about Irina that tends to tell me that she's a little bit off. And so, um, you know, if 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 all goes well and there's nothing to it, then hey, whatever. That's me just you know finding stuff in the sky. But just something about her is a little off. She did miss weight. Let's see what happens here. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with. I mean, let's see if it won the fight though. Still <laughs> by decision. The betting spots here. Fight starts round number two. The fight ends by a split or decision or a draw. You have some bets that allow you to play the split or draw like together as one prop. I could see this being very close and ugly. And then the fight ends by submission because it's a female fight, which about almost a third of the time ends by submission this year in the UFC for female fights. And Irina has some submissions. So we'll play that prop as well, as long as it's a pretty good return. So again, Irina, let's see if it's win the fight by decision. Let's move on. All right. I do need to grab myself something to drink, guys. My mouth, I don't know if you hear me guys right now. I'm like, Ugh. I'm like so thirsty. Let me jump out of here. I am going to go to the next fight, though. I'll pull the screen up. It's going to be Terrence McKinney versus Brendan Marote. I spoke with Terrence McKinney last night. So happy to tell you about that conversation and how I think this fight's going to go. Let me go ahead, like I said, jump out of here real quickly, get a drink, and I'll be. i 
guys, I'm back. Got myself some uh, some juice. We're gonna talk about uh, Terrence McKinney and Brandon Marot. I don't often like using terminology like a can or or victim or. But my goodness, I mean, Brendan Marot is being brought in here under some uh, difficult pretext. I just don't get how he's supposed to win the fight. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'll give a quick breakdown, I guess. But ultimately, Brendan Marot's making his debut, hasn't fought the highest level of competition. We know McKinney's got his issues. We know he's he's a bit of a, a ball of fire. It's like, you know, it goes good for him or it goes terrible. We know all that. Now, I spoke to Terrence last night. Well, I didn't speak to him. I exchanged a few messages with him. And he's in good spirits. I plan to talk to him next week. plan to have an interview with him next week. And he's seems like he's in a good spot. You know, he's, he's a father now for about a year or so. So somewhat of a young father himself. And... If you don't know his story, look it up. My man's been through quite a bit. But, uh, you know, his career thus far, 20 fights, never been to decision. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> so it's definitely like, you know, winner go home with him. He ain't going to play no games. And if uh, if he gets her done, it's usually early on, first round or so. And if he doesn't, he gets flatlined in the process. That's his M.O. So, yeah, I'm, listen, I'm not going to get into the numbers here. Let me just read the breakdown to you guys, and then this is let's let's keep moving because I believe this fight is a is a parlay Terrence McKinney, you know, with confidence. And if you're going to play Brendan Moreau, just take Brendan Moreau by knockout, right? So minus 475 for T-Rex, plus 360 for Brendan Moreau. We like T-Rex here by round one submission. McKinney either gets his fights finished early on or gets finished himself pretty much that's it it's pretty simple right he was on a winning streak things were going well knocking out people quickly and then he ran to drew dober then drew dober who got hurt early on came back and then finished mckinney uh, mckinney has been finished in all of his losses as i mentioned before all six of his losses so durability is definitely one of his weak points He's definition of boom or bust, right? Either get it done, knocks the guy out, or Aladdin himself. Where he gets into the biggest trouble is his stamina. It seems as if after that first wave or two, that first push, he's excited, he's going for it, and then just hits the wall. And it's weird because the former wrestler, high level wrestler, and you know those guys tend to be in good shape, good conditioning. They have multiple you know rounds in wrestling, but nah, man, UFC, MMA, whatever. He just gets so excited, blows his wad, and then. Um, if you can survive that first wave from him, then it's like, oh, he's uh, he's up Shit's Creek, right? For Marot stepping in to replace Chris Duncan. Now, that would have been a banger. McKinney and Duncan would have been crazy. So this guy's had a few weeks notice, Marot, coming in here. Up to now, though, this guy's faced very low-level competition. To give you an idea, the last person he fought is 11-21. and 21. So you're going from an 11-21 regional guy to Terrence McKinney, who's 14-6, and six, and... All of his last few wins are in the UFC against high-level guys, and he's a, he's a violent fighter himself. So just putting it in perspective, I think McKinney's a big step up here for Mr. Moreau. Now, Moreau's key to victory is fairly simple, I think. Extend the fight to round number two. 
Everyone knows that McKinney only has about two and a half, three minutes of battery life, and then that's about it. So I think for Moreau, it's pretty simple. Just get this mofo a little longer. You got a chance here. Now, notably for Moreau, he does get easily out-wrestled on the regional scene against a guy named John Doma. I think that was an amateur about too. John Doma just rinse and repeat, kept taking him down with no problem. McKinney, if you don't know, like pre-college years, like, you know, in high school was on the edge of flirting with like an Olympic trials berth in freestyle wrestling. This guy's a very good wrestler. So I think McKinney could overwhelm him in the wrestling department, get him on the mat, and then from there, obviously, try to find a submission. And so if there's one thing, you know, again, McKinney has that one thing that Marot struggles with, it would be that. And now when it comes to cardio, that's where you know, all bets are off, man. We get to round number two. I don't expect McKinney in round number two to be shooting and getting takedowns on Brendan. No. So for Marot, he has been in distance several times. So from a cardio perspective, you got to give him an edge there. McKinney's a likable young man. I've talked to him several times. I've interviewed him twice officially for our show, you know, but bottom line is I, until I see him go longer, I'm always going to have that concern with him. Like how does he respond in rounds two and three? Can he go the full distance? You know, so I'm always going to have that in the back of my head for this fight though. I do think, you know, he's got what it takes. I'm hoping that we can go to round number two. He shows better cardio, gets a finish there, and just kind of shows he's putting it more together. Um, but either way, a win for McKinney would be nice. I think it's going to happen probably around round one, number one. If you like Brandon Marote, by the way, don't just bet him on the line. It's not going to be by decision. Take him into the distance, maybe even by knockout, because the way Terrence fights, that's how he would end up going out. It's not going to be a three-rounder. And if it is, pff, shock of the year, right? So some betting spots here I like are the under 1.5 rounds. The fight does not start round number three. The fight ends by submission. So either guy getting a submission here. McKinney to win in round number one. And Marote to win inside the distance. I have no prices yet. Those props are not available yet price tag wise. But again, we like Terrence McKinney to win the fight by round one submission. Let's keep it moving here. All right. Tainara Lisboa versus Ravina Oliveira. All right. We're back to the ladies. Comment section. What's up, Antoine Willis? What's up, EQ in the house? I mean, Jesus. Um, yeah, my man, bro, she's Russian. <laughs> I love it. All Russians are off. Yeah, I got that, baby. Um, lettuce in the house, Snooty Fox, uh, Tone Miggins. Good to have you guys all here. Love it, love it, love it. Um, thank you guys for showing the support. We appreciate that. This is a very impromptu breakdown. It was it was not uh, produced ahead of time. I just have limited time this week, so I just want to get this published out there. Put something out there about my thoughts for UFC Fight Night, uh, Yusuf versus Barbosa. So if you guys are stopping through and you're looking for an organized show, you're in the wrong spot. We're just kind of chilling here. Speaking of chilling, now's a good time to pack those bowls. If you want to smoke with yours truly, I'm going to light this fire right here in a second. And we can indulge together. We can enjoy it all. We can celebrate it all together. And then we'll talk about Tyranera, Tainara, Lisboa versus Ravina Oliveira. The debutante Oliveira, by the way, who, man, these, these debutantes coming out of the left and right and out of the woodwork, right? Man, okay. All right. Jupiter and Mars. So Tainara Lisboa, the Brazilian up against Ravina Oliveira, another Brazilian. Both very inexperienced. Of course, Oliveira is making her debut. Lisboa has already a fight under her belt in the UFC. Six and two for Lisboa, seven, one and one for Oliveira. Let me give you right now our pick. We're going to go with 
Tainara, Ty Panther, Lisboa by round two submission. That is our prediction. I mean, here again, do you want to, you know, uh, invoke the dogger pass concept of it's a female fight? Who knows? Blase, blase. Yeah. I mean, it's got the makings of an upset. If you look at who Lisboa beat her last fight to get her first win in the UFC, it was a washed up Jessica Rose Clark, who's no longer in the UFC. I mean, UFC tried to kept try to keep you know Jessica Rose Clark as long as possible just because she was somewhat cute, the tattoos and the bad girl kind of stuff. Like, eventually they just couldn't keep her anymore because she wasn't very good, and that's who Lisboa beat. So it's like, ah, you know, put that put that win into like a little different category. I don't know if that even counts, you know, in terms of what we're talking about here. So, you know, if we didn't have that win in our conscious, if we didn't see that win or know of that win, I just you know, how much would we think of Lisboa? And would she be this minus, you know, big ass favorite? So, uh, you know, a little scurry there. Uh, let me get to my my sheet here. So, oh yeah, so blind spot here from a Ravina. I have not seen any film of Ravina. Let me just put that out there. So, I have no grading for her on IQ, cardio, striking, grappling. I gave her a low grade because she's got like no submissions, finishing ability also kind of questionable. Experience very low. You know, seven and one, fighting regional scene opponents, making her debut here. Uh, for Lisboa, experience-wise, a slight advantage because she has one win in the UFC. Fighter IQ is okay. I wouldn't categorize her as being a brilliant fighter just yet. Uh, cardio is okay. Finishing ability, you got to give it to her. She has a finish, right? In the UFC, striking is okay. And grappling is maybe slightly better than Oliveira. All right, let me get to my notes here, though, on this fight. So Lisboa looked impressive in her first UFC fight earlier this year. She capped off a dominating performance with a round three submission. She looked good um, in the last fight, but the level of competition just wasn't very good. It was Jessica Rose Clark. We talked about that before. She's cut down from the UFC. If you go back a little bit further, though, for Lisboa, go back to her resume early on. She fought Norma Dumont in her first ever MMA bout. That's somewhat impressive, you know, early on fighting, you know, some good competition. In my opinion, she's also faced, you know, across the board, much better competition than Ravina Oliveira. Let me shift gears here for a second on the... On the musica. Okay, so the biggest downside for Lisboa is the age, right? 32 years old, right? So got kind of a late start here to her pro career. Because 32 years old and she has eight fights, <laughs> right? Um, that means she has no time to waste. She needs to win fights, needs to win dominant fashion, needs to go on a run here. Uh, to make something of a, of a ranking run or maybe even trying to find a way into a title fight, which may not be realistic at 32 years old. You know, just putting it out there. For Oliver, she comes to this fight off of a six-fight winning streak with finishes in her all six fights. So you're like, whoa, high-level finisher. It's, you know, it's like, oh, come on. <laughs> she finished three of those fights early in the first round. So now I'm like, I saw her resume. I'm like, okay, she's got all finishes. Now she got all fin like three finishes in the first round? I'm like, who is she fighting? <laughs> the records of her last five opponents, right? Her last five, and what she's five and zero, right? No, I'm sorry, she's yeah, she's five and zero. The record of her five combined professional opponents is 22 and 44. The records of her last five opponents, or last three, I'm sorry, last three opponents are 17 and 27, zero and two, and zero and two. I just found a typo there, too. Last three opponents. So she's fighting nobody. 
I, I almost don't care about her finishes. I almost don't. There's, it doesn't matter. Now, I haven't seen anything from her on film, but it almost doesn't matter what the film even shows me because it's almost like you can tell me she's zero and zero. She's been in the gym training, sparring, and that's all I know. Because whoever she's been fighting, no. <laughs> now, based on the stats here, she finishes people at a high rate, pretty good striking, but no film on her. Couldn't find anything. If you did, uh, let me know in the comments section what you guys think. I just don't know what to expect from her. I don't expect very much. She might surprise some people here. A big underdog. I'm going to find my way at some point playing her on the money line because it's just such a big dog price. And I'm not so sold on Tanara Lisboa. And I don't know. Maybe Ravina comes out here and surprises me. As we all witnessed last week, three to one favorites in lower level female fights are very risky. Look what happened with the Vanessa Demopoulos fight and Murata fight. You can argue that Vanessa maybe lost a fight. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just like, doesn't matter. Like, a big underdog female fight. They're both low level. Just fuck it. Take the underdog and you keep moving, right? That's sort of what I'm thinking here. I don't want to be the person this week holding a ticket for Lisboa. And we see again another one and another one. And this year, I feel like there's been more than other, ever than the female fighters coming in minus 275, minus 350, whatever, and just dropping the bag. So not for me, dude. Not anymore. If you watch me long enough, you get blindsided from time to time. It does happen. Um, so prospects like Oliveira, just saying ahead of time, could be that kind of prospect who could blindside you. As a reminder, almost 30% of the female fights this year in the UFC have ended by submission. They both have submission wins on their resume, so keep an eye out for the submission prop, which is like both sides. Either one getting a submission, that's usually available on DraftKings. All right, some betting spots here. The fight ends by submission, and Lisboa as a parlay piece. Those are two spots that I would be looking at. All right, let's move on here to the next fight. Next fight is going to be Darren Elkins and TJ Brown. Dizzy Brown, okay. All right, so uh, Mr. Brown, 17 and 10 overall, up against the veteran Darren Elkins at 27 and 11 overall. Let me give you my pick right now to win. And by the way, I do like me some Darren Elkins. This guy's a, he's a warrior, right? Nothing but love for this dude, but uh, he's getting long on the tooth, right? Getting a bit old. <laughs> All right, my pick here for this fight is going to be TJ Brown by decision. That is my selection. I'm pretty sure most people will be choosing TJ Brown to win the fight. I'm not super confident because this, this dude, Darren Elkins, is a dog. And TJ Brown, he's 17 and 10 for a reason. You know, he's lost 10 fights for a reason. He's had his moments. Um, so as for records, I told you the records already. They're both American fighters. They're both about five foot ten, about the same reach, and obviously about the the same weight. Um, age wise. That's where we differ a little bit. You know, you've got TJ Brown at 33. You got Elkins at 39 years old. 16-year pro experience for Elkins and 10-year pro experience for TJ Brown. Grading-wise, Elkins definitely has the experience advantage with having almost, what, 38-some-odd fights compared to 27 for TJ Brown. Fighter IQ, I think TJ Brown has an advantage here because Elkins is just getting up there in years, getting long the tooth and kind of getting effed up at times. Cardio, also on the side of TJ Brown. Finishing ability, yeah. Neither guy's an impressive finisher. Striking, same thing. Neither guy's an impressive striker. Grappling, you know, Elkins has some submissions. He's a decent grappler. I give him an edge in the grappling department. Some props to consider here. Fight does not go the distance. 
The fight ends by submission. The over 1.5 rounds. The prop lock versus the fight going no distance. Brown versus Elkins. Let me go back over here to my notes. So Elkins gets hit too much. And he lacks head movement. In essence, he's kind of like a human boxing bag, you know, or punching bag. He's 3-6 and six in his last nine fights. And his last three wins are against former UFC fighters that have since been released. So, again, 3-6 and six in his last nine. And those three wins he had were over against guys that are not even with the promotion anymore. So, you know, kind of not a good look, right? Even more concerning for Elkins, his chin has started to deteriorate as well. He was knocked out in round one by Cub Swanson a few fights ago. In the past 18 years, Cub Swanson has only knocked out one other guy in the first round. I mean, if you know Cub Swanson, you know Cub Swanson is not the biggest power puncher. That's not really where he sort of hangs his hat on. But again, he knocked out my man here, Elkins, in round number one about two fights ago. So that's a sign. It's a sign. Again, getting knocked out by guys who don't really have that kind of knockout power. Um, I think it's a good matchup for TJ Brown. He's six years younger, right? He's more athletic than Elkins. Brown's glaring weakness is his submission defense. Four of his 10 career defeats have been by submission. Also, gets a little bit tired at times. He also got submitted his last fight by Aljo. So considering that Elkins has a few submissions, Brown needs to be careful that the partner, I think if you're going to play Elkins here, Elkins by submissions is a spot I'll be looking at. Brown to win outright. And the fight starts for number two are some spots I'll be considering here. I don't like going against you know Darren Elkins. I don't like fading veteran fighters because I feel like they've earned the they've earned it, right? Been around for a minute, but just he's getting long in the tooth. And I just I think we're coming to that, you know, tail end here. For TJ Brown, he really needs to win this. If he can't win this fight, dude, oh it's not a good look. But uh he's favored here, minus two oh five. You got Elkins plus one seventy. We'll see what happens. Let's move on. And that's the end of the prelim card. So now we're up into the main card, Christian. Um, hold on a second. Christian uh, Rodriguez up against Cameron Samon. Okay. And of course, Cameron Samon is from South Africa. He's one of the, the brethren of the, the likes of uh, Drakis Duplessis, you know, that crowd down there. Guys, I told you I was going to smoke with you guys and I packed my bowl and I just didn't. Here we go. Let's um indulge. Okay. Hear the wind? <laughs> That's great. So Christian Rodriguez versus Cameron Samon. These guys have similar experience. Nine and one for Rodriguez, nine and zero for Cameron Samon. The American Rodriguez up against the South African. Before I get ready for the breakdown, let me tell you who I like to win. I have here Mr. Christian Rodriguez to win by decision. He's a slight favorite here, minus 155. You got Samon at plus 130. I agree with the price. Makes perfect sense. And this fight could go the other way. I could see Samon winning as well. Christian Rodriguez is a bit of a, I mean, he's an American, but he got that last name Rodriguez. He probably got some Mexican or some Latino in him. He's tough, man. Tough dude. So in terms of uh, the pick again, so Christian C. Rod Rodriguez by decision. Let me share with you. My notes over here. So I didn't do any grading here. That's right. I ran out of time. <laughs> so I'll give you my props here. The fight going to decision. The fight starts for number two. Over 1.5 rounds. Split props on my on my menu here. Decision win is the method of victory for Rodriguez. The fight starts for number two is the prop lock. Okay. 
get back over here, give you my notes. All right, so Saman is a hot prospect from South Africa. Does his best work on the ground where he could put his jiu-jitsu to good work. Saman looked strong in his last outing, but he was facing a late replacement that has limited skills. If you remember that fight, it was when Saman fought Terrence Mitchell, right? Oh. Saman, was, Saman was expected to finish the fight early, and that's exactly what happened. In his prior fight, he went to decision against Mana Martinez, the Mana Martinez fight to me is more reflective, more of a measure of where Saman's at. His last fight, just like, whatever, forget about it. Saman has shown that he can win a fight in more than one way, which we do like that. In nine professional fights, he has six KOs and one submission. He'll have his work, though, cut out trying to finish Christian Rodriguez because Rodriguez has never been finished, including seven amateur bouts. This guy, Rodriguez, that's like seven plus 10, 17 fights, never been finished. So I think Rodriguez is just tough enough to make this thing ugly. He's going to land a few good shots. I believe Saman may not be his fault, but he tends to get a little red in the face, bloody nose. Damage could be the decision maker here, right? So we could have just enough damage from Christian Rodriguez in a striking where Saman's wearing it more. But both guys are, are very durable. They're tough. They're athletic. Good gas tanks. It should be close, but give me Christian C. Rodriguez to get the better of the striking exchanges, landing more, doing more damage, and for him to get the win. Some betting spots here, over 1.5 rounds. The fight starts round number three, and Rodriguez to win on the main line. Okay, next fight. Let's keep it moving. We're flying now. Edgar Shirez versus Dan, uh, Daniel Lacerda. Uh, what do I say here? This fight was, what, two, three weeks ago they fought, and Shirez appeared to pull off a standing guillotine. Lacerda's arm went limp. Um, Chris Tyone steps in the referee, stops the fight. They do a little replay on the side. They determine it was a premature stoppage. You know, I, there's lessons to be learned everywhere on this, but but why is it that days later you see the replay from other angles of Lacerda's arm just going limp? I'm sorry, dude. You're done. You, you lost a fight. You got submitted. That's it. But we got to run this thing back again. So we're going to run it back again. <laughs> I think Shira is going to submit him again in the first round again. Um, and I don't know what the excuse will be this time. Um, if Lacerda pulls off the win here and were to beat Shirez, I'm going to be angry for Shirez because he did win the last fight. Whether referee stepped in too soon or whatever the case may be, the replay shows that Lacerda's arm goes limp. Now, if you're going to say, well, he was doing that to play possum, well, you don't pretend to be asleep when someone's choking you. That's not a strategy. <laughs> you don't pretend to be going limp. So, all right. I said my piece. Um, I'll say this. The people who subscribe to our newsletter, they saw this fight breakdown a few weeks ago. When I went this week to do our newsletter write-up for this fight, I just copy and pasted the breakdown from a few weeks ago. Let me read to you. This is word for word the breakdown from before they fought the first time. Word for word. Nothing changed. You can find that publication from a few weeks ago if you're thinking I'm bullshitting with you here. All right. Here it is from a few weeks ago. This is when they were first going to fight at UFC Noche. Edgar Shires by round two submission is the prediction. Shires is a Mexican badass with 100% finish rate. He's an equal opportunity finisher, but he does best work in the grappling scenarios. His last two wins were by submission. If and when this fight hits the map, he'll look to end things with a submission. Shires has strong cardio as well. He earned a fourth-round submission two fights ago in Fury FC. He went to decisions versus Tatsuro and Carpenter, both of whom are in the UFC. If the fight gets past the first round, he'll be the much fresher fighter. As for Lacerda, needs to win to keep his spot in the roster. He's willing to the promotion with four straight losses. 
To make matters worse, he was finished in all four of those bouts, including twice in the first round. He was he has formidable wrestling and averages about a takedown and a half per bout. Lacerda would be wise to manage his output and to pay take and to pay more attention to his defense. He absorbs 9.76 strikes per minute. That's a lot. <laughs> if he doesn't improve his striking defense, his career will be cut short. Like Chavez, he does his best work on the ground. Two of his last three wins were by submission. If he has a way of pulling off the upset, it's a round one submission. His cardio historically falls off after round number one. Of their last six combined fights, four of them were by submission or one by submission. The other two wins were by knockout. A finish seems imminent. The betting spots here, under two and a half rounds, the fight does knock the distance and the fight ends by submission. That was the prediction three weeks ago or so. We're predicting the same exact thing with one change. Edgar Shire is by round one submission. Okay? So, yeah. Um, nothing else to say, guys. Let's move on. All right. Andre Petrovsky versus Mitchell or Michael. Mitchell, Michael. Pereira, the Brazilian versus the American slash American with the Russian last name. Let me go ahead and uh, get into this breakdown. Let me give you the pick first of all. So, Andre Petrovsky by decision is the prediction. He's a dog here at plus 130. Michelle Pereira is at minus 150. It's more or less pick and range. Uh, Michelle Pereira has a lot more experience. If you, as you can see, they're 28 and 11 compared to 10 and 2 for Petrovsky. Petrovsky, who's built like he's stacked and so is Pereira. You guys are both in great shape. We're going to see a very high level athletic, you know, two guys, different styles, but a lot of power, a lot of explosiveness. And if you've ever watched Pereira fight before, he's a bit of a, a circus in his own right. Um, as for our grades here, what we got here? What we got here? All right. So 12-year pro experience for Pereira, seven-year pro experience for Andre Petrovsky. Grading-wise, um, experience edge to per- for per- Pereira, right? Let me mark that accordingly. That wasn't marked there with the blue little marker. Um, IQ, <laughs> not the strong suit for Michelle Pereira by any means. I'll talk more about that in a second. Cardio, they both have good cardio. Finishing ability, I think Andre Petrovsky is the better finisher. He's a little bit more uh, capable of finishing the fight, put it this way. Uh, by the way, Andre Petrovsky is the late replacement in this fight. Not late replacement, he's a replacement fighter. Not late replacement, just a replacement fighter. Uh, striking ability, Pereira is the better striker. You know, kicking, striking, more fluid in his hands, longer range. Grappling, definitely Andre Petrovsky is a better grappler of these two guys. So over 1.5 rounds, the fight goes to distance. Some split props on my radar. Uh, Michelle Pereira to, I'm sorry, Petrovsky to win by decision is our prediction. I was in the wrong column there, my bad. The over 1.5 rounds is the prop lock. Okay. Let me get to my notes here real quickly. So Andre Petrovsky by decision is the prediction. For Pereira, this guy's a juggernaut, right? Freaky athletic. So the dude will do things in a cage where you're like, wow, you know, flipping around and jumping and doing monkey shit. It's amazing. Sometimes. <laughs> um, his recent winning streak is also going to get a lot of better thinking like, oh, man, he's winning all these fights. He's a seven, eight fight winning streak, whatever, you know. But if you've ever watched him fight, you know that he tries some things at times where at any moment it could backfire. You know, there's some boneheaded maneuvers at times and things that at any moment where it goes wrong, it could cost him a fight. So regards to the winning streak, it's like I know this guy. <laughs> I've seen this guy fight quite a bit. And if you've watched him fight, you know what I'm talking about. He absolutely, to me, cannot be trusted with your money against formidable competition. And Petrovsky is formidable and also does something that he's pretty good at, which is wrestling, which is Pereira's like kind of his weak spot, right? Now, Petrovsky, a nasty wrestler with really good jiu-jitsu. When he isn't fighting in the cage, he's doing those tournaments, the grappling tournaments. So he's active in that arena, and he's always sharpening his tools in that area. 
if he could take down Pereira at some point, especially like round one or round two, he's going to probably wear out Pereira, maybe even find a submission. If not, he'll just chew up the clock. Now, one of the knocks on Petrovsky back in the day, a few fights back, whatever was the, the cardio. He ran out of gas, whatever else the case would be. But recently has done a good job. You know, he's kind of got himself the distance, won some fights by decision. So I do like that. Now, Pereira is a, is a very tricky striker. Nothing is the same with him. He throws punches at odd angles. He's dancing around, kicking, flipping. You know, the guy is, he's got a little bit of capoeira to his game, if you know what that martial art is, is form is like. So it's a, it's very, it's like dance oriented. It's off balance. It's kind of a pain in the ass to fight a guy like him. And if you're going to catch him, you got to catch him perfectly. He's always moving, right? Never a standstill target, which is, you know, part of his defensive strategy. So the safest play for me in this fight is going to be the fight here going longer. These guys both tend to go longer. They're safe fighters. Like, they're smart about their defense. They want to overexpose themselves. Combined, they've been decisions in their last six fights. So last six fights combined, these, these two guys, they've gone the full distance. It's a testament to their cardio, their work ethic, durability, and again, fighter IQ, being smart about their fighting style. And I think Petrovsky is the better fighter here from a fighter IQ standpoint. Pereira, for all he does, like, dumb in there at times and being off, you know, off kilter, he does survive. He keeps himself safe. And so from that standpoint, we can't say he's a complete dumbass. He does a lot of things that are good. The fight starts right number three. The fight goes to full distance, and Petrovsky to win are some props we'll be looking at. Again, those price tags are not out yet. I would share them with you if I had them, but they're not out yet. Minus 150 for Pereira on the line, plus 130 for Petrovsky. We're going with Petrovsky here to win by decision at plus 130. As the money line play, by decision, will probably be like plus 300 or so around there. We'll see what happens. Let's keep it moving, guys. Next fight on the card, main card fight. Jonathan Martinez and Adrian Yanez. This is going to be fun. This is going to be a great time. This fight right here might end up being the fight of the night. I'm just going to call that early on because I almost don't even care who wins the fight. <laughs> I mean, does it really matter? These are two guys who, you know, when you say you like fighters, like, oh, that guy's not UFC material. These guys are bona fide UFC fighters who are not going anywhere anytime soon, have a ton to offer to the Bantamweight division. Either one of these two guys, they're young enough, could make a run of the title at some point. And they're both, in my opinion, have a skill set that could get it done. Hands are amazing. Someone's going to get knocked out. Someone's going to knock the bleep out here because these two guys got hands. They don't play around on the ground very much. Decent takedown defense, both of them, but they don't attempt takedowns themselves. So we're going to see two Spanish fighters. I don't know if, if Martinez has got Mexican heritage. I would assume he's got Latino heritage. So let's just put all the Latinos into one big bag of bag right here. The Puerto Ricans like me, the Mexicans, the Guatemalans, the Peruvians, throw them all into one bag and say these guys all got good chins, right? No, we can't do that. It's the Mexicans actually who got the good chins. On Puerto Rico, we got some good boxing and shit. But let's be honest. It's the Mexicans, specifically those damn Mexicans, who have granite chins. You have to hit them with like a sledgehammer. The sharp end. <laughs> like, motherfuckers could take punishment like no other. It's like just... And I wish there was a way to test this on the DNA. Like, can they extract DNA from the, the chin of a Mexican? We'll come back and say like 100% steel. Motherfuckers got chins of steel. So let's pretend they're both Mexican for the sake of the breakdown, which maybe they're not. And I forgive me. I'm just joking around. But you get the point. I'm giving them a compliment here. These guys are both tough. They got a chin. Meanwhile, Giannis just got knocked down his last fight. <laughs> that dawned upon me as I was saying all that. Let's let's talk details. Let's get to the numbers here. I do like uh, Giannis by round two knockout. That's my prediction. Not super confident on either guy here because as the line has minus 110, minus 115, both sides, it makes sense. I'm torn too. 
They have similar experience at 16 and four, 18 and four. You know, you can go back and forth, but you know, size wise, technique wise, their fighting style, a lot of similarities. They're, they're both really tough guys. As for um, my grades here, I didn't do the grading on these guys, but some props to consider here the fight, no distance. A knockout is how the fight ends. So just any kind of knockout, either guy under two and a half rounds. The round two knockout for Giannis, Giannis is the method of victory. The fight, no distance is the prop lock. That price is not out yet. Let me get into my read up on this, guys. Hold on one second here. So Giannis by round two knockout is the prediction. Tough fight to call, like I said before. My line is accurate. We love Giannis's style and aggression. I mean, the guy goes after it, doesn't play any games, probably eats a few punches too many in the process. He lands almost, well, he lands 5.89 strikes per minute. So almost six strikes per minute. That's high volume. I do like that about Giannis as well. Um, he was on a nine-fight losing winning streak. I'm sorry, nine-fight winning streak before his last fight where he got knocked out. And um, that last fight kind of makes you wonder, was it a flash knockout? Was it like, you know, hey, just a little bit of a mistake? Or will it be like a turning point? And now that nine-fight winning streak turns into like a three- or four-fight losing streak, right? Giannis, Giannis does zero wrestling. But he does have 100% takedown defense, so he does know how to defend takedowns. Doesn't attempt, though, himself. His best weapon is volume, right? Like I said before, he's landing almost six strikes per minute. He lands... Oh, wait, hold on. He lands... Uh, oh, no, okay. <laughs> Time out. I messed the numbers up here. Yanez lands 6.75 strikes per minute. He's absorbing 5.89. So correction on that. I said 5.89 earlier as his landing number. He's actually absorbing 5.89, which is, I don't love that. He needs to fix that. He needs to get his defense up and stop eating so many punches. But he does land almost seven strikes per minute, which is a, which is a good amount of number. Good number, right? Even if he executes the perfect game plan, though, this fight could be super close. Like, I'm talking, if Giannis comes out and fights the perfect fight for three rounds, or if Martinez fights the perfect fight for three, round, three rounds, this thing could still be right down the middle. It could be really tough to call. Martinez is looking to build on his win streak after recent victories over Saeed Nurmagomedov and Cub Swanson. He was a plus 190 underdog against Saeed Nurmagomedov, so that's a nice win as a big dog. He's a fluid striker that mixes in kicks with his combinations. Lands 4.63 strikes per minute, so a little less volume for Martinez, but he has a positive um, striking ratio. doesn't get hit as much. He's a few takedowns on his record, but he prefers to do his operating on the feet. Fortunately for him, so does Giannis. So both guys do not do many takedowns. It's just all in the feet. It's boxing, boxing, Mexican-style boxers, right? For Martinez, his last two defeats were to Davey Grant and Andre Ewell, both quality fighters. He's been a decision in four of his last five wins. So finish rate's kind of going down recently. This will be a close fight, however you look at it. I think both guys here are built for 15 minutes, right? But I think over the over that time of 15 minutes, one of them gets to the other guy. I'm not sure who it is. I love me some Martinez. Love me some Yanez. I hate having, hate having to pick either guy, honestly, because these guys are both good prospects, both good fighters here. But over the course of 15 minutes, they're skilled enough that someone's going to execute, right? Not even make a mistake. Just someone's going to make the perfect punch at the right time, a perfect counter. And then from there, obviously, pile up and get the finish. So I do see like a round two, round three finish by Yanez. Um, some betting spots to consider here. The fight does not go the full distance. And the fight ends by a knockout. That's either guy by a knockout. Again, Yanez by knockout. Run number two is our prediction. Let's move on. All right. Next fight here is Jennifer Maya and Vivian Araju. Now, of course, you know, if you follow our channel, you know that we were kind of fans of Jennifer Maya because she's been on our, our show, did an interview with us earlier this year. And uh, 
That interview was about two, three weeks before her fight with Casey O'Neill. And she gave off a lot of confidence and she seemed like she was in a good space. She went on to win that fight against Casey O'Neill. And that kind of put people like on notice, like, listen, I'm not done yet. I've been around for a minute. You know, I know people are kind of thinking I'm over the hill, but I'm, I'm still here. I'm still competitive. And so it was a nice win for her. And uh, so she keeps it going. I mean, I think people think Jennifer Maya is more past, you know, her prime than they might realize. She's just been around for a minute and uh, and still obviously has some juice left. So she's 21 and nine overall, one draw, 11 and five for Vivian Arahu. Surprisingly, when I looked up their ages, I was like, oh, Arajo is actually older than Maya. Or I'm sorry, the same age, about the same age, 35, 36, same wheelhouse. Um, so that's surprising. I think of Jennifer Maya as being older, like I said, but Vivian Arahu got a lot, lot less experience, but about the same age. For props to consider here the fight going the full distance over two and a half rounds the split props for sure female fight going the distance split props definitely gotta be in the radar Maya by decision over two and a half rounds is the prop lock let me go over my notes with you guys real quickly here so Araju plus 136 Maya minus 162 that line is perfectly lined I, I even though I like Maya here I'm not saying she should be a two to one favorite or anything like that I'm just saying I do like her to win ever so slightly and so this line is perfect here Maya, by decision, is the prediction. Maya is having a career resurgence. She's looking for her third win in a row and is showing no signs of slowing down. Her win over O'Neal earlier this year surprised a lot of people. You could argue that O'Neal wasn't fully recovered from the ACL tear and or that Maya was a little too much for her too soon after that knee injury. We credit Maya with being the first fighter to expose Shevchenko's decline. This is a big one for you guys. I, before Shevchenko almost lost, lost to, um, what's her name? When she fought, oh, Tatiana, Shevchenko fought the Brazilian chick after Jennifer Maya and went the full distance and won by a split. And I still say that was a bad decision. I thought Shevchenko lost that fight. Before that fight, her and Maya went five rounds. Jennifer Maya went five rounds with Shevchenko and Maya won the first round on all three judges' scorecards. And so that to me was one of the first indications that Shevchenko was slipping. But I credit Maya as being the person to kind of, you know, reveal that she went the full distance with her and she beat her in round number one. So with that said, you know, I think Maya is low key, pretty damn good. Right. Respected veteran has fought some of the best of the best. Most of her fights tend to go to decision, but she does have effective jujitsu skills as well. All of her recent fights were at the hands of accomplished fighters like Shevchenko. I mean, all of her recent losses. Right. She's lost recently to Shevchenko, Carmouche, Caitlin Chukagan. And man, if you're right, I mean, those are at least quality fighters, you know, not excusing to lose all those fights, but the point is they're quality fighters, right? Maya has only been finished once, now 2012, almost 11 years ago. That's more than 30 professional fights, only finished one time, so also very durable. For Maya, she has a choice here. She can mix in some grappling and wrestling if she wants to, though I don't think she'll do that, or keep it at range and do some boxing. She also has a kickboxing background, by the way. If you don't know, Jennifer Maya was a kickboxer before she became a mixed martial artist. For Raju, enters this match having dropped three of her last four. That's tough, right? She's in, she's in danger of getting released, nothing like that. But she's kind of desperate to get herself back in the win column. Raju lands about the same amount of strikes per minute as Maya. Where they differ, though, is takedown stats. For Raju, she lands 1.81 takedowns per fight compared to only 0.27 takedowns per fight for Maya. So that's where if Raju were to implement a takedown you know, heavy game plan and get some top control and eat up some some clock, that definitely could be a way for her to, you know, get a path to victory. Additionally, Maya allows almost half the takedown attempt against her. So she has 57% takedown defense. So again, if she tries takedowns, Roger, that is, she should have some success. 
We aren't so sure that Raja will actually be able to get the takedowns, though. <laughs> All right. Shevchenko and other strong wrestlers were able to take down Maya, but those were the ones that were strong wrestlers. Is Raja considered a strong wrestler? I mean, is she really considered like that level? I don't know. In our opinion, striking match here favors Maya. Raja should mix in some grappling. I think she'll need grappling to get a win here on the scorecards. The betting spots we like here are the fight going over two and a half rounds. The fight goes the full distance. Look out for those split props. And then Jennifer Maya, by decision to keep the train rolling. The line is correct here. Might I remind you guys, though, it's a female fight. Nothing against female fights. I love me the ladies. I don't care. We can have a whole card of female fights. But we were learning recently, it's basically dog or pass with female fights. I don't know what else to tell you guys. Because right now, we can see this fight go three rounds. Maya could win all three rounds. And they give it to Vivian Rogers. So just brace yourself for that kind of shit here. Let's move on. All right. Last fight on the card, the main event. Edson Barbosa, Sadiq Youssef, featherweight bout. 23 to 11 for Edson Barbosa. He is the consummate veteran against 13 and 2 for Youssef, up and comer, a little bit younger. Got the uh got the future in front of him where Edson Barbosa is sort of, you know, the twilight years coming to the end of his very illustrious career. When it comes to some props here to consider, the fight no distance. It is a five-round fight under four and a half rounds. The fight begins round number two. I want to see what that prop price is when it comes out. Could be something I'll look at a parlay. The fight ends by a knockout. That's just either side. Uh, round three knockout for Yusuf, and the fight no distance is our uh, our prop lock. So with that said, guys, let's jump into our written breakdown here. It's a featherweight bout, 145 pounders. You got Yusuf at minus 166 on the line. Edson Barbosa at plus 140. Give me Sadiq Yusuf by decision as the prediction for Barbosa. Let me give you some background here. Before this guy ever started doing mixed martial arts, he was like a multiple-time South American wrestling. Not, not, not Brazil. South American. The whole damn continent. Brazil as well. So national champion Brazil, international South American continental champion, flirting with like a level of Olympic-level wrestling. That's what he was doing before mixed martial arts. You can see where that would then transition to also being good at grappling. He's from Brazil, jiu-jitsu, blah, blah, blah. If you've watched him the last five, six, seven, eight years in the UFC, though, you would think he's a kickboxer. He's morphed into a kickboxer. This happens to guys, especially when they get older. You know, they kind of their their styles will change a little bit and they'll evolve into different kind of fighters. And so in the case of Barbosa, it's not even a criticism. I'm just saying this guy, if you didn't know, has an amazing wrestling background. He can handle himself on the ground. Just doesn't do it, you know, very much anymore. The biggest wins of his career have been over Benil Dariush, right? Bobby Green, who now just knocked out Dawson last week, Anthony Pettis back in the day, and even Paul Felder. So those are names on the list of Mr. Barbosa. The problem is all those wins were like four, five, six, seven, eight years ago. At one point in time, one point in history, Barbosa was 19 and four. That's what his record was. Then he fought Khabib Nurmagomedov, and that was in 2017. And of course, he lost that fight. Since that time, 2017, Barbosa is four and seven. We have nothing but the respect of a ton of respect for Barbosa, his style, the way he carries himself, whatever else the case may be. At the same time, we cannot ignore numbers like these or the fact that he's showing signs of being over the hill. At 37 years of age, his, his athletic prime is definitely kind of behind him, and damage might starting to be adding up. Durability is also becoming a problem for him as well. He's been finished in six, he's finished six times, four times by knockout. 
That's been across the entire career, though. He's been inconsistent with durability his entire career. So that's also another bit of a red flag for him. Now, Yusuf's younger, faster, more powerful, quicker. I mean, every athletic, you know, acronym or whatever I can give you, he's better in those areas right now than Barbosa, mostly because of age. In many ways, it's his fight to lose. It's a good matchup for him. It's a good test. It's not a cakewalk by any means, but Yusuf really should win this fight. He lands 5.29 strikes per minute has a good kickboxing style. He'll have a speed advantage here over Barbosa and definitely a power advantage. If they stand in trade back and forth, I can see Yusuf, you know, clicking, hit him in the chin, hit him in the chin. That's it, clipping him, right? Yusuf has stamina to go the full distance, five rounds, right? Volume to win the scorecards. The biggest key to victory for Yusuf is to be mindful of Barbosa's power. Four of Barbosa's last five wins were by knockout. So right there, the former South American wrestler has turned into a kickboxer and he can knock your ass out. Four of his last five wins, all in the UFC by knockout that includes wins over guys like knocking out billy quarantino shane burgos dan hooker and he finished benil Darius too right at 13 and 2 and only 32 uh, uh, i'm sorry at 13 and 2 and only 32 years old the arrow is pointing up for yusuf right this is a good test for him and a nice opportunity but he needs to be careful with barbosa's power right he needs to be careful of that Neither of them do much grappling. This should play out as a Muay Thai-style kickboxing match for however long it lasts. Barbosa's chin will be tested at some point. Can he pass that test? When that when that moment happens, you'll know it. Either Barbosa survives that moment or Yusuf gets the best of him. But if we go the full distance, I still like Bar- I still like Yusuf to win the fight there too. 30 years old versus 37. You know, just enough of an age advantage for him to be a little fresher towards the end of the fight. So yeah, give me Yusuf, Sadiq, round number three knockout. Okay, just a quick summary of the picks, guys. Before I jump out of here, I've got to go pick up my daughter. She is um, she is at practice, and I need to grab her. So uh, before I run out the door, let me give you my summary here real quickly of the picks for UFC Vegas 81, a.k.a. UFC Fight Night Yusuf versus Barbosa coming up this weekend, the 14th of October. Prelim card first. We're going to go with the first card or the first fight here. Ashley Yoder versus Emily Ducote. We're going to go Ashley Yoder by decision. Next fight, Chris Gutierrez versus Tang Haley. Give me Tang Haley, another dog here, at plus 300 on the line by decision. Next fight, Melissa Dixon versus Irina Alexeva. Another dog, plus 124. We're going to go with Irina Alexeva to win the fight by a round one submission. Next up, Terrence McKinney versus Brandon Marot. We're going to go with Terrence McKinney to win by round one submission. He's a big favorite here at minus 475. Tainara Lisboa at minus 375 versus Ravina Oliveira, who's making her UFC debut at plus 295. We're going to go with Tyrana Lisboa to win by round two submission. Next fight, TJ Brown versus Darren Elkins. We're going to go with TJ Brown to win by decision. First fight in the main card, Christian Rodriguez at minus 155 against Cameron Samen at plus 130. Give me Cameron Sam- sorry, give me Christian Rodriguez to win by decision. Edgar Chires, minus 310 against Daniel Lacerda, who's plus 250. We'll take Edgar Chires to win by round one submission. Next fight, Michelle Pereira versus Andre Petrowski. Give me Petrowski to win by decision. Come in event. I'm sorry, no, not, not yet, not yet, not yet. Adrian Yanez versus Jonathan Martinez. Could be the co-main event. It's a good fight. Minus 110 both sides. Give me Adrian Yanez to win by round number two. Knockout and the co-main event, Jennifer Maya versus Vivian Arajo. Two Brazilians. Give me Jennifer Maya to win the fight by decision. The main event, Sadiq Youssef versus Edson Barbosa. Give me Sadiq Youssef to win by round three knockout. And those are your picks for UFC Vegas 81, a.k.a. UFC Fight Night, Barbosa versus Youssef. 
We got it done. I found a few little typing errors. Got to go over here in the newsletter before I publish that. But 7.30 p.m. Eastern time right here, the 11th of October, a few days out from the event. So for those who got a chance to watch the video, you're welcome. And thank you for those who came through live tonight. Thank you. I uh, appreciate you guys being here. Matter of fact, before I get out of here, let me check the comments section here, put on some tunes as I rock my way out of here. I will be leaving the next few minutes. So we can say our goodbyes. We could all say hello, goodbye. Um, you know, have fun with our evenings. We've got some football on tonight, college football. You got some, uh, a lot of stuff. There's some baseball. Uh, there's baseball on. There is, um, yeah, there's some shit on tonight. So um, comment section before I get out of here. M.A. Jesus. He says Cameron's a lock, bro. If he says that, that means it might be a lock. My man knows his shit. Um, Dogger pass for Lacerda. I feel you, dude, right? The rematch never goes down the same way as the first fight. It never does. So it's a good point. And me too. I like him too much. Oh, I don't know why that is, Anthony. It's so weird. I've had people tell me this before. Like, for some reason, people don't get notifications when I go live. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why that is. I don't know what the what the, what the, what the deal is. Thank you, Terry Mizo. Appreciate that. Yes, peace, brother. Peace. Um Harper two home runs. <laughs> yeah, Harper, man. Let's go, Harper. Thank you, dude. Thank you, Latisse. I appreciate it. All right, guys. Let me get out of here. You guys are the best. I'll see you guys very, very soon. Have a wonderful night. Um, I will be back online tonight at about 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time with uh, my co-conspirator, Haley, for Butterfly Guard. That will be tonight at 10 p.m. We'll be talking the entire card. She'll give me her picks, talking just some ish Texas stuff female mixed martial arts perspective all that good stuff so we'll see you guys tonight at 10 o'clock p.m eastern time doses show my love this day that the rest are hating now go get all around stole my wife from the west my favorite these cats are domesticated james in the station investigating that bees they curved the kid back then when i weren't so lit now i'm lit they're pissed told bro bro that you gotta take it slow but he knows crying pace so he won't go lynch we're three for three now six for six put in the work for years for this this ain't no coincidence i did have to take them trips that bees they curved the kid back then when i weren't so lit now i'm lit they're pissed told bro bro that you gotta take it slow but he knows crying pace so he won't go lynch we're three for three now six for six put in the work for years for this this ain't no coincidence i did have to take them trips